Good evening. Good evening, Father. So good to be here. I'm so excited. And when Monsignor <clears throat> invited me to preach the missions here, I had no word no. You know, it was yes, because I was really so happy that he invited. I'm really excited to be here. And these three days of the mission that we are going to have, as I had reached out to each of your homes through a short video. So we have Mass today and also on Friday. And tomorrow we will have the adoration and then the mission preaching. And at the end of the Mass is today, Friday, and tomorrow after the benediction. I will be available for confession. So those of you who feel moved by the Lord, you know, you wanted to make a confession and receive his forgiveness and feel that renewal, you know, you're, you're welcome to do so. The history has revealed the story of two magnificent silver cups. And they were discovered from the boggy marshes of, marshes of Ireland. And the first cup is known as the Gundonstrup Cauldron. And this was discovered in the year, like in 200 BC. And it has a very magnificent art, good carvings on that, on the silver cup. It's all about the pagan gods and the, the warriors, the gods that the Irish worshipped before they became Christians. And it also is adorned with a lot of pictures, and one panel shows that, you know, it has a gigantic cook, cook god. He is holding the swarming humans and dropping them into the vat of oil. And these guards, they demand a human sacrifice to appease their appetite. And the second cup is known as Arda Chalice. And this was discovered in 7th century AD. That was much after the Christianity came into Ireland. And this also has a magnificent art and a craftsmanship to it. It has the 11 apostles and Paul. And when this cup is raised, and it, the worshiper, he raises his cup and touches his lips, you know, he's remembered of the God who sacrificed for the love of the humanity. The first cup, it reminds that the gods were demanding for the human sacrifice for their own, to appease themselves. And the second one reminds of the God who sacrificed himself for the humanity. God outside the Christian world is scary. And at times we take these things for granted because we think the notion of God is same all over. And it's not. And having come from India, a country, a culture, which is a multi-religious culture, 
Because we have diversified religions there. And the notion of God is so different. And in religions where the God is not love, you know, the human response is so different. The human beings are scared of such God. Instead of being drawn towards him, you know, they try to run away from that God because he's so scary. He's like a taskmaster who demands, who seeks, who comes after to punish people. And it's so difficult and challenging to preach of God who is love to such world. And that God that is revealed to us is so different from what the non-Christian world thinks of. And Jesus who came who spoke of God, he spoke of God as the loving father. It was not that he was drawing some inferences or he was talking on metaphysical terms, but he was talking on the real terms because he came from the father. He had experienced that love of the father. He knew what was the nature of the father. So it was his experience that compelled him to call him Abba, father. And that's so beautifully captured by Paul in his letter to Romans. He says, The spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And it's not that we have the human beings or the Christian world has defined love first and then passed that definition to something whom we call God. It's God who revealed and tells us what love is all about. That's what St. John in his first letter, he tells, you know, this is, this is what love is. And from God we learn what is love. And he says... Not that we loved God, but God loves us first. He loved us first and sent his son as an expiation for our sins. And it is so hard for us, the humans, to fathom the depth and mystery of this God's love. And this God, who expresses his love by giving... And for us humans, we can enter into this mystery only by learning how to sacrifice. And it's only those who have learned to sacrifice can understand the glimpse of what God's love is. A story is told of Mother Teresa once she found a woman who was with open sores and infested with bugs and she took her to her home. She bathed her, cleaned her, she dressed her. And all this time, this woman whom Mother Teresa picked up from the street was cursing. And she was insulting. But Mother Teresa kept smiling at her. And finally, the woman asked, Sister, why are you doing this to me? Not everyone behaves like you. Who taught you this? Why are you doing this? 
Mother Teresa looked at her, smiled and said, my God taught me. Your God taught you? What's his name? What's the name of your God? So Mother Teresa kissed her and she said, the name of my God is love. The name of my God is love. Dear brothers and sisters, even in a world that we live, which is Christian, you know, the love is so much different. It's, it's so much abused and misused. And it's hard now to know what really the love is. The ancient Greeks had different forms or terms to explain different kinds of love. Now, they had six terms to use for the word love. So they used storage, which meant an affection, affection that the parents have towards the children. And they used the word called eros, which means a romantic love between the lovers. And there was a word they used, philia, which meant uh, a friendship, a love between the friends. And there was a word called pragma, which meant it was a lasting love between the spouses. There was a philotia. A philotia was used for the self-love, a love towards oneself. And there is a word called agape. Agape, which, defined, which is defined as the divine love, the love with which God loves. A love which is a sacrificing love, self-sacrificing love. It's only this love, agape, that has this capability or capacity to give. You know, all of us have experienced this giving. You know, we are all very generous people. You know, we give because of love. And I'm sure we, too, we do have experience of giving when it hurts. But most of us stop giving when it hurts us. But this agape is that like you keep giving while it hurts you. You keep giving. So that's this great love of the Lord. This is a great love of God. And such love is not self-seeking. It's not self-satisfying. It's not... And it is a very much a self-sacrificing. And Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples in the, fair, fair, the farewell discourse, and he speaks to them about love and he says that, you know, I'm calling you friends because no one has a greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Then on Calvary, he proves that love for his disciples. He proves his love for his friends by laying down his life for them. And that same crucifix, whenever we come to the church or whenever we look at, gaze at that, at homes or anywhere, continues to speak to us the volumes of this sacrificial love. And my professor always used to tell a crucifix for us Christians should not become just an object of veneration. 
He should be a continual source for us. It's not only in good times we come and pray, but even when we feel really hurt, when we feel that we are misunderstood, when someone has insulted, even those whom we love have pained us or hurt us, look at that crucifix. Of that time, you really understand what love is. And it cannot stop giving that love to us. It cannot stop inspiring us. And this love of God is it's an everlasting. And that's what it tells in Jeremiah chapter 31, that I have loved you with an everlasting love. It doesn't end. God cannot stop loving us because he cannot stop existing. And God is love. So when we say God stops loving, means that, you know, he stops existing. It cannot because God is eternal. And he has no situations, he has no moods to love, and his love does not depend on my response to him. Even if I reject him, even if I deny him, his love continues. His love continues to me. There's a beautiful Hasidic story about, you know, such love of God which is so continual. You know, you know the story of uh, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. You know how Moses strikes the water and then, you know, like it opens up for the people of Israel to pass. And then when the Pharaoh and his army wanted to chase him, then, you know, it just comes back and drowns all the people, drowns them. And now the Israelites are rejoicing because it was a real victory, a liberation at last. And just think of what happened in heaven. So there's the angels, you know, they're cheering and dancing with joy because the Israelites are saved and the Egyptian army is defeated. Then one of the angels notices that God is not with them. He's not present. So he goes to St. Michael and asks, where is God? I don't find him. And Michael tells him, God is not here because he's off by himself, weeping. Weeping for the thousands of his children who are destroyed. So even at the denial, you know, God's love does not stop, but it hurts him. It hurts him. Dear brothers and sisters, this love of God is so permanent to us. It is so personal to us. So it's beautifully said in the book of Isaiah, I have carved you in the palm of my hand. I have carved you. you know, sometimes it doesn't make much sense to us when we read what does it mean. You know, in the East, there is a practice like in the morning when you wake up, you know, people rub their palms and just open it up and see. So that's the first thing you see when you wake up. And if you have carved an image of something in your palms, you know, that's the first thing you notice. So that means that's so close to you, so intimate, so personal. Before you go to bed, you know, you that's what you see. So this is something that it is so intimate to us. So that's what Isaiah is trying to tell. 
how intimate that each of us are to the Lord. And as we begin this season of Lent, as we focus on the prayer, fasting, almsgiving, the three good works of Lent, now what should motivate us this, this love of God for us? It's not that we do this, we undertake this because of obligation, because of you know, God who loves me so much. And all these actions, whatever I undertake, would be my response to him. I conclude with a very a small exercise, a simple exercise that I would suggest to you is that all of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what it speaks of. The famous exhortation of Paul on love. And you know, when you read that, so it says love is kind, love is patient. When you read the chapter, replace your name with that word love. And you keep reading this every day. First day, I'm sure you all will be surprised that, you know, is it? It would be really a surprise. And as you keep reading every day, maybe at the end of the 40th day, you would have realized that you have become more patient. And you have become kinder. And you have become less complaining. And you're less grudging or you're less judging and less gossiping. So when you become less of that and more of kindness and patience, you know, you have become more of love. So, dear brothers and sisters, let's ask the graces and blessings from the Lord that we use this opportunity, the opportunity to renew ourselves and to restart our journey, the journey of loving God and journey of God's love.